everyone and welcome to this week's episode of She's an Artist. I'm your host, Sarah Brown. This week I'm here with two very special guests, Morgan Zipmeister and Sarah Lehue. Morgan is a lighting designer and actress here in New York City. Her work can be seen at places such as The Brick, Planet Connections, and Detroit Fringe. You can see her right now in the show I'm Getting Tired Mildred going up November 4th. Sarah Lehu is a New York City stage manager and has worked at places such as The Queen's Company, Coney Island USA, and Dixon Place. You can see her show in Bible right now up at New World Stages. So without any further ado, please give a very warm welcome to Morgan Ziffmeister and Sarah Lehu. Welcome everyone to She's an Artist. I'm here with returning guest Sarah Lehu. What's up, nerds? And Morgan! Yay! You have to do the whole name, Morgan Zipmeister. Morgan Zipmeister! That's that's me. Yay! So, happy National Stage Managers Day, first of all. To all the amazing stage managers, men and women, who... It's also yeah. a National Mental Health Day, oh, which yes. I think is also super fair to coincide with Stage Management Day, because you have to be seriously mentally ill to Oh, yeah. Well, well, I would say know. that it's more apt because, <clears throat> as I get all of the frogs out of my throat, <laughs> that um, <laughs> stage managers keep all everybody else mental healthy. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. It's great. Perfect. Yeah, I love so, it. So, Morgan, since yes. it's your first time here, yes. you get the fun questions. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, so, how did you get started in theater in general? Um, when I was a small child, I started taking the obligatory Saturday classes that went singing, dance, acting. Ooh. Yes. And um, I wasn't quite great at any of them. Uh, But I continued with all of them for quite some time, but I didn't go to like a real high school. I went to like a all girls private school. We didn't really have a theater department, but I knew that I always loved acting and I related to it and that's what I wanted to do. And I, then I had my, what I call my theater coming out to my parents and said, no, this is something that I actually want to pursue. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was looking at colleges, I looked at, you know, colleges with really great theater programs so my first professional audition was my audition for NYU and I got in yay to which my father said we (laughs) we only let you audition because we thought you wouldn't get in (laughs) but now that you did get in we think that you should go so um you know I was coming from a good place they were you know they're just like but you're smart so why would you do this thing that is obviously quite dumb and Mm -hmm. I was like well (laughs) Because I love it. So uh, then once I got to NYU, um, sort of having like a very base level of like not much theater training at all, I explored a bunch of different avenues and uh, found directing and then found design. And that sort of leads us to where I am today as an actor lighting designer. Amazing combination. And director. And director. Yeah. So you're like a triple. A, A certain different kind of triple threat. Yes. I served my time stage managing too, so Ooh, yeah, trenches. Yeah. Yes. So, how did you both meet each other? Because you guys knew each other before this podcast. We That's did. Um, Morgan and I worked on a show called The Temple in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that long ago? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Winter of 2015. I was in production meetings in 2014 for this. Yeah, released. man. Um, and that was written and directed by. Our dear friend Nat Cassidy. Shout um, out to Nat Cassidy. Mm-hmm. Morgan and I didn't really, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you and I didn't like become super close until like post tech for that show. Right. No, we, I mean, we during, around each other. Yeah, we, because yeah, as a designer, I, I was at a fair amount of rehearsals, yeah. but not, a, you know, not yeah. like every day. And um, we rehearsed in uh, many places, notably uh, the, the, uh, elevator vestibule of an office building for Ooh, quite some time. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but okay. yeah, no, after tech, yeah. uh, we kind of bonded and yeah, I mean the first time Morgan ever called me <laughs> this on is the phone, a story. Um, oh goodness, is, I'm ready. It was during tech week for the temple. Um, we did the show at uh, a venue in Williamsburg called The Brick. Yes. Um, hopefully people are familiar with this place. It's, it's, a, it's great a great place. Theater. Oh okay. yeah, it's a very well known theater. But the thing about the brick is that there is a gate that comes down 
um, to lock it mm-hmm. at night. And we had locked up the night before, and it comes down, it's on this chain. It's like so, a garage, because it's an old it's garage, so it's an actual, like, storefront, like, gate that, like, oh, unrolls. Like and, we have around here, yeah. like, when they pull, yeah. okay. Um, uh, it was locked up improperly the night before in that the chain, which is on this pulley system, was knocked off the wheel of the pulley, which meant they could not get it. So, cut to the next morning when my electrician and I we, were I going I was unaware in, that, that this was the case. We were going in to hang and focus all of the lights at 7 a.m. Yes, they were. And we couldn't get into the theater because uh, the chain had come off the pulley and it needs to be fixed by a professional in order to get in. So I called everybody I knew at 7 a.m. and was like, we have to fix this. But without the laugh in her voice. Um, I I was very serious. It was also the coldest day of the year. I think it was about like eight degrees outside. Very cold, very early. I remember um, because it was tech but I still have to make my money. Um, I was going into work that morning and I got out of the shower and I checked my phone and I had a message from Morgan who I barely knew. And I was like, Oh, this is, this isn't a good one. (laughs) There's no reason that I'm being called at seven 20 in the morning. Um, except for something bad. (laughs) So I, uh, checked the voicemail and it was very much a hi Sarah this is Morgan um we are trying to get in to do our hang and focus this morning and uh I can't get in the building so um if you have any way of of helping uh you know just give me a call back or uh we'll we'll, we'll be in touch soon click and I'm like oh great um my, my LD hates me um I don't know what to do. I start like texting people trying to get Michael's information. We eventually got the artistic director of the theater to get somebody there to let us in. But we got started about three hours late and we only had two days of tech. So it was a little bit dicey. But here's where I realized that Morgan is A, the consummate professional and B, a, a person who has an air of magic about her. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she, with the help of Chris, who is... Chris Conley, the most amazing human in the world. He's an angel with no wings. Yeah. Um, he uh, he helped her out. Morgan hung, focused, and programmed the show yeah. that day. Yeah, I was Amazing. able to do a. Te- Morgan ripped a hole in space and time, mm-hmm. and I was able to tech the show that night. So- I honestly don't remember what happened. I remember like working through lunch and getting everything hung and focused and circuited, and uh-huh. then I was like, okay, we're good. And I was up in the booth, and Chris was focusing and. To be fair, there were a lot of practicals and not a lot of like actual instruments in the yeah. air. But, but that's the fact still, that you were programming. It still takes time. So when I by the time I started programming, I think I had maybe like an hour or two before actors were coming. Yeah, you had about an hour and you got done I think twenty minutes before And I don't know what happened. Like I literally remember climbing down the booth and looking at Sarah and saying I don't know what happened, but the show is done. What time is it? <laughs> oh, no. I can give you exactly the scenario because it's crystalline in my memory. Oh, gosh. Um, the way that we had the brick set up, mm-hmm. we had it set up. We, we called it like a tennis court um, because we, we utilized the extreme downstage and the extreme upstage's entrances and exits, and we had audiences on either side. So it was almost in the round, but not really. So to get to where Nat and I were standing, it was it, the show takes place in, in a central room of yeah. a submarine. Yeah. So there was this huge hole, uh, which we named Stephanie. Uh, <laughs> we all had a piece of the set named after us. And Steph was the giant gaping hole, and we <laughs> love her very much. Um, uh, Nat and I were behind that, and I remember specifically talking to Nat, being like, I don't know what we're going to do. I think we can do... <laughs> I can still play with sound. Morgan's going to need more time for the lights. And I saw you come down the ladder and start crossing to us. She's at the extreme one end of the theater. I'm at the extreme other end. It's not a big theater, but I still had enough time to look at Nat and be like, oh no, Morgan's coming over. She's going to tell us something. And you came over like a woman, both victorious, but also defeated and said exactly what you just said to me. I don't know what happened. The show is programmed what time is it? <laughs> and then you went off into the ether to get food. And Nat and I were like, what the fuck? <laughs> it might be my proudest moment of anything that I've ever worked on. 
It was amazing. So, so everyone hired and I met and became friends. Yeah. So everyone hire Morgan, basically. <laughs> Morgan and, after and Sarah. That, after that, Morgan and I immediately did our next two shows together. Yeah, we which did. were uh, the Lick Spittles remount, okay, the Meringue, and a show in the Planet Connections Theater Festivity called Dutch. That I was Dutch. that I was an actor in, and we desperately needed a stage manager, and I knew just the person to call. Sarah. And, uh, and she really did. She called me, and she was like. I'm going to bring you into something. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> so what are your favorite types of shows that you both like to work on? Is it more like comedy or drama? Or It depends on what role I, I'm playing. Mm-hmm. At, in, like actor know, versus yeah, actor. In that that has a double meaning. It does. I'm not trying to be clever. But no, it just you're great. Um, you almost spit beer. That was funny. We almost um, had our first spit take. <laughs> um, but when I... The work that... I don't direct a ton anymore, but the mm-hmm. work that I tend to be drawn to in that way is definitely more experimental. Um, you know, I like to sort of have something where you've got to create a story and mm-hmm. pull it out. Um, but in terms of like my design and my acting, it's really about being part of an ensemble. Like my favorite thing about design is the fact that like we all make each other better and that like lights and sound when they work at the same time like that's fucking magic and you know I design with a lot of practicals that's just the way that that I like to do it so that's huge with the set designer and like how can those things support the actors on stage Mm -hmm. and when I am an actor on stage I like all of that to be working in my favor as well um so I want people who are doing theater to make something better than they would do by themselves as opposed to the other way around awesome what about you, Sarah? Same question. <sighs> um, it's hard to say because from a management perspective, mm-hmm. it's not so much the type of show, but the people that I'm working with. Of course. Um, so, I mean, you want to be working with people who know their shit and people who've got it together and people who are, you know, a little organized and at mm-hmm. least have done theater before, or at least have a better idea than somebody coming in totally cold. Um, but in regards to the shows I like to work on, it, it pretty much aligns with the shows I like to see. I'm not a big fan of the avant-garde. I'm not a big fan. No, <laughs> None of the I'm, shows we've done together have been experimental or avant-garde. Exactly. Yeah. I don't do... If I see the words experimental or, <laughs> or movement piece, I'm like, Multimedia. I'm, <laughs> I'm into that. Bring it. I'm like, no, please, for the love of all that's holy, I don't want actors in the audience. I don't want them touching people. One day, one day, you will certainly see me in a show where I like roll around on the ground in my underwear. I'm sure. That's fine. I'm <laughs> certain I will. We came very close with that Hamlet you did at the break. That's oh, true. God. <laughs> I was oh, clothed, though. You were clothed. Nat wasn't, but you were. I was. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Nat was covered in mud. Nat was covered in dirt, shirtless. It, it was. It was an experiment. You Amazing. Know. You know what? It I love fine. it. It was. People are taking chances, but. I, I like, for somebody who who has so, as weird taste as I do with, like, mm-hmm. my music and my movies, and I don't say that to be like, I'm quirky, but, like, it's just it's just a facet of who I am. Yeah. Um, as I sit here on a Friday the 13th t-shirt. Yes. I like big, splashy musicals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, Morgan's shaking her head. Yep, but hard pass. I like big, splashy musicals. The kind that you can't really do today because they're so antiquated and, like, vaguely rapey like one of my favorite shows is like kiss me kate seven brats or seven brothers it's all just like it's to be fair i like the old ones i just don't get it when people still try to create that now mm-hmm. yeah it's very hard to replicate south so pacific was... like with vaguely racist all of the things is like one of my favorite shows i want to do miss saigon so badly because they crash a helicopter and i just want to figure out i just want to, i want to crash oh a yeah we... i like big splashy musicals i like our little horror plays i love them i yes. love them we that love our horror on. plays. Yeah. We love our horror shows. And, I mean, I like I like Shakespeare. I oh, love yeah. working on Shakespeare. But Shakespeare, as I and Morgan's laughing already because we've had discussions about this before. Mm-hmm. So many discussions. <laughs> Shakespeare, as like, I don't need shit for Shakespeare. I could have eight people sitting on stools, mm-hmm. acting at each other, and I'm like, this was fucking brilliant. Oh, well, yeah. I don't need multimedia. I don't need to it to be set in it. Like, yeah, it's a Midsummer Night's Dream, but it's set in like fucking strawberry fields in 1962. I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. But that's what's brilliant about Shakespeare is that you don't need it. Yeah, but, need it. but because these scripts are 
so done and so known. There's always something else that you can mine. And now, but it has to come from something. You have to do the work. You have to do the script analysis. You, have to you find can't it just in say, text. I'm going to do Twelfth Night on the Moon, you know? Yeah, which, but, you know. To be fair, one of the my favorite shows that I ever worked on was we did a version of Twelfth Night that was a drinking game. And it was called Twelfth Night the Drinking Game. And we did the full text. There was nothing cut. Um, oh, wow. But the audience was, we did it in a burlesque club in the slipper room. Back the slip. Back yeah. in the day when it was, this was 2000 and, I'm going to date myself, but 2005, 2004, 2005. Yeah. We did two different runs of it and then they also did it in New Orleans. This is back in the day with a, a theater company I used to work with called The Legitimate Theater Company, um, which were amazing. We did some weird shit. Um, but Twelfth Night the Drinking Game. You know, it's all about that carnival that is Twelfth Night. So to put this concept of a drinking game on top of it still works. Absolutely. So we had the audience divided up into teams. You were assigned a team from your program. And each team had a patron character. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we'll just do one team. The blue team, I think it was, was like their patron character was Orsino. And they had to drink anytime Orsino came on stage and anytime someone's love was rejected. So every, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and like, and there was a stage manager character that was telling people when to drink and it engaged the audience. And there was a social drink anytime made, anytime anyone made a vagina joke or anytime anyone sang a song. Happens fairly often. And by the end of the show, it felt a lot like, you know, what I can imagine that shows at the Globe would have felt like like with that spirit. Especially with Twelfth Night. Twelfth Night, it's like a Bacchanal. Like you have that. Mm -hmm. My problem comes in. When people are, when the concept for the show sounds like it was two college students doing bong rips and was like, wouldn't it be cool if? I hate wouldn't it be cool if when it oh, comes yeah. to things like Shakespeare because it doesn't need to be. No. In its purest form, it doesn't need to be because it's about these human relationships and these human connections and these real human problems. So, like, I don't need it. If it works and it's interesting, it's great. But, like, okay, the, the last Shakespeare that I saw was Hamlet at the Public. And it was awesome. Fucking great. And it was one of the funniest plays I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It was Hamlet. <laughs> yeah. But they mined it for comedy and it worked because that show's really fucking funny. It is funny. funny. Mm-hmm. It is funny. It's funny. It leaned into how much of a shit Hamlet is. Yeah. Such a shit. But like they did it in such a way where I was like, I'm on board. I know what we're doing. The double casting worked. Keegan-Michael Key basically sat in my lap. It was... <laughs> I like those things. I mean, I... I'm a very hard sell when it comes to the more avant-garde stuff. Mm-hmm. And I am 100% on board with the fact that, like, 98% of it doesn't work. Yeah. I think you got to make the chance. you got to try. Otherwise, we're going to lose what makes those plays special in the I first place. I respect them for trying, but I also know... Like, audience member, know thyself. I know it's not for me. Like... I've heard nothing but good things about Sleep No More. Nothing about any of it has made me want to go see it. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't want, I don't want to be touched. I don't want to go in different rooms. I don't want to wear a mask. I want to sit in a dark room. <laughs> and just watch and people. And not be bothered. But that's <laughs> what's great about Sleep No More, besides the mask thing, is that like you could put on your mask and walk into one of those rooms and just sit there and see what happens and still get a great show. You don't have to run around like crazy person and touch everything. I've seen it twice, and the first time I saw it, I was so obsessed with the fact that I could touch everything as a designer that I literally was just in rooms going through drawers, and it was like four hours went by, and I never saw an actor. Like, And that's awesome. And then the second time I saw it, I was like, oh, shit, like, I should, like, see this show. And so I committed myself. I was like, the first dancer or actor I see, I'm just going to latch on to, and we'll see where it goes. And I knew then from having known enough people that saw the show that they do the banquet scene three times downstairs. And I was like, that's sort of where the crux of the show is. So I'm going to like follow people downstairs and try to watch it three times. And it was amazing because both experiences of that show informed so much about it, about the text, about, you know, my experience as an audience member and what theater is, you know, so, but I get it. Like, I'm not going to, you know, I don't go to see Broadway musicals. I just don't, you know, like, so we all have our own. Do you think, so with, all the plays and musicals that are coming out. I mean, Broadway has so much marketing money. It's all over everywhere. Uh, something that I'm noticing is there really aren't a lot of original ideas. And I'm not saying, like, we shouldn't do Shakespeare anymore because I'm also an avid fan of Shakespeare. I think there's always new ways that can be done. But 
we're seeing a lot of movies turned into musicals and this is and this book is a musical now and this thing is going to be a movie now and like all that stuff and I can't help but think is this maybe hurting theater a little bit or like hurting our creativeness because like doing Mean Girls the Musical that's great like so proud of you but I can't help but think why didn't we just create an original idea about like what yeah investors don't want to invest in new ideas they want things that are going to run and recoup their money and be on Broadway for five years Mm -hmm. they want years um, and something that you can put a star in, um, you know, it's mm-hmm. and and established properties get money. Yeah. Well, then, because uh, which is why I mean, it's great that I I mean I personally didn't like the show because mm-hmm. going back to what we were saying before yeah. about I just don't dig on certain things, mm-hmm. but it was wonderful to see great comment. Yeah. And watch that journey go from indie theater. Where did it go? Ar- Ars Nova. At first? Yeah, Ars Nova yeah. to Broadway. Yeah. Ars Nova to Broadway. Yeah. Arsenova to a different city to Broadway. Oh, yeah. It's insane. And good for them. Mm-hmm. But the reason why it folded is because people yeah. don't want to go see stuff that they don't already know about. Mm-hmm. Well, then could you say the same thing about Hamilton? Hamilton has the name power. True. With Lin-Manuel. Yeah. Yeah, but Lin... I mean, yes and no. Because Lin-Manuel was known to theater people, but not like known to tourists from Nebraska who come and see it. He became known because Hamilton became such a big deal. Mm-hmm. I would argue against that. I think he became known because In the Heights became such a big deal. Mm-hmm. He did In the Heights and then he did stuff mm-hmm. at the Tony Awards and he was becoming a little bit more of a name. Yeah, but who watches mm-hmm. the fucking Tonys if you're not a theater person? If yeah. you're a theater person, but you don't have to be a New York theater person to watch the Tonys. Yeah, yeah, I guess right. And through all of these uh, things that are being created... Because we're a podcast about women in the arts. Uh, You know, are you finding that women have a place in this? Like, are women being well represented in these plays? Or is there, and on top of that, is there diversity in this? Because on stage, I feel like there can be a lot. But also, like, backstage, there might not be a lot of diversity. I'm going to go on ahead and say no to both points. Okay. Um, specifically because, and this is the first thing that popped out in my head when you mentioned this. Yeah. Paula Vogel is uh, either 65 or 67, mm-hmm. and she just got her first play on Broadway this year. She's amazing. With Indecent. Like, yeah. she's been off Broadway for a million years. How oh, yeah. Drive, all this other. Um, but Paula Vogel hadn't been on Broadway until Indecent. And Indecent almost fucking closed. It got an 11th hour stay of execution. I believe it's closed now, mm-hmm. but it did get an extension because she finally got on Broadway and got nominated for the Tony and there was all this good buzz. Women creators just aren't given that much leeway. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing that I can... I'm Because I'm not a huge Broadway nerd type person, yeah. like even, <laughs> even someone who sees a ton of theater like I see theater that my friends make I'm I do go to a lot of indie stuff yeah um that's my milieu that's where I want to be working you know I mean I'm not gonna lie I mean who doesn't want to be on Broadway but I also don't see a place for myself there because of exactly what you're saying Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of that has to come because it is coming down from this Hollywood type industry where they are making movies into musicals and we all know how women are represented in Hollywood exactly Mm -hmm. So, you know, that doesn't leave a place. And just in terms of backstage, um, I am lucky in working in the indie theater world that I work with a lot of other women designers. That's awesome. Um, But I also am often the only woman designer. And it just happens that way and specifically with set and lights now and sandy elkin is one of my favorite women to work with she's a set designer sandy we work great together um but uh, you know like i said set and lights have to work together a lot and a lot of set designers are men and a lot of lighting designers are men and when you get there it's like a bro club it's like tools and wires meat and it's like my cable yeah and i'm like i understand tools Mm -hmm. please give me the saw i will climb the ladder no i'm not scared and yes i can lift that Mm -hmm. um i often get you know and let's be real for a second at the lab one of the last shows i lied and designed they actually hired me a crew which was all men 
And it was amazing because I got to sit on the ground and be a designer and tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but had they not been there, mm-hmm. I 100% would have done it myself. Yeah, of yeah. course. And I'm capable of doing it myself. Mm-hmm. So I, when you walk into a new space and they don't know you, it, you know, I get, I get mansplained to a lot about lights. And I am a self-taught person, you know, in terms of my lighting design career. So I, I get it. You know, yeah. there's a lot of things that my brain doesn't have the technical knowledge or verbiage for maybe what a lot of people might be like, you know, just throwing around. But I have the creative skill set and I have the know-how, the know-how to just make shit work, even if I don't really know what it is. Yeah. And I feel like that's almost more important in terms of design. Um, being an electrician, maybe not so much, you know, like that's a technical skill, but that's not to say that I couldn't learn it if I didn't, you know, I went to a, um, I took a class at ETC earlier this year and I was the only woman in the class and the class was taught by a woman, but, and they like totally, all of these dudes in this class, like totally respected her, but then we're also kind of like, well, couldn't you also do it this way? I know this thing about this board, you know, and like, or trying to work ahead of her, like going in the book and then they would fuck up and they would fuck up and you know, they'd be like off on something else. And she'd be like, no, we're doing this now. And then walk around and I would be like, yes, I'm right here with you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Cause I was listening yeah. and that's what is missing. I think, you know, is, yeah. I don't know. I feel like I just went on 42 tangents. No, oh, it's great. It's all good. Shit. Yeah. It was good <laughs> tangents. Well, so speaking of that, and speaking of Hollywood, as everybody knows today, uh, dumpster man, (laughs) Harvey Weinstein, part of the Weinstein company, was accused of rape. He actually, he is a rapist, for everybody listening. Sarah's eyes are rolling in the back of her head right now, thinking of how much she hates this grotesque oh, human yeah uh and yeah and now just so many other people oh just, yeah of course and uh, a nightmare on so many levels and you know as women in art i feel it should be a community we should be sticking up for each other this is for me art is a safe space yeah uh for me the art that i do that we all do theater is a safe space and for someone to invade that and betray that is like is beyond me um and i don't know how like to move forward from this to be like okay let's take this situation and move forward how can we do that given there have been so many other instances of this type of behavior in hollywood that just like a continuing spiral of sexual harassment johnny depp casey affleck bill cosby well, the sad, uh, Chris Brown. Yeah, the sad fact is is that theater is not a safe space not either, and neither is Never has even yeah. indie theater down yeah. to the smallest level, regional, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. this is because and, and there was the whole uh, horrific thing with Marin Ireland. You know, that came out a few years ago mm-hmm. about I am totally blanking. We need like a fact checker. You was know, it in Chicago. In Chicago, you yeah, know, with I was that just one thinking theater. about that. that oh, that. And, yeah, and the, you know, it was her and a boyfriend, I think, you know. Who, who were, was the uh, artistic director of that theater, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Right? And, but it was like this biggest. <laughs> <laughs> wherever it was, and I'm going to get the details wrong of it, but the main gist of it is, is that he was a serial abuser. Okay. Who abused his power, and everyone directly involved knew about it, but nobody could come forward until, like, there's safety in numbers, so a lot of people had to come forward yeah. before it was changed. And then this theater had to shut its doors mm-hmm. because nobody wanted to oh, yeah, give money to that theater anymore. Theater, excuse me, but I mean, this can happen in any art form. Oh, of course. Because unfortunately, a lot of times it's about ego. Mm-hmm. And like, people come to the arts to be able to express themselves. Yeah. And if you are expressing yourself and you want to actually make something that is going to affect people, mm-hmm. that's one thing. That's one beautiful thing. If you're coming to this because you want to express yourself and you want everybody to do what you want to do, that's when things get dangerous. And that doesn't 
necessarily even mean like you know man versus woman you know mm-hmm. like that there are plenty <laughs> of like woman versus woman man yeah. versus man like, yeah relationships but... you know that happen in the arts that become toxic mm-hmm. and dangerous because people are unwilling to collaborate mm-hmm. and we're also a different breed of human yeah i feel but that's we obviously feel not things excuse. yeah more Oh, yeah. Here's my thing. And I've been cogitating about this and trying to phrase it in a way that's not totally cold and totally Mm hard-hearted. I love the arts. I love them. They're my lifeblood. The movies specifically. I may work in theater, but movies are where I go. When I have a bad day, when I'm anxious, I will go to a movie theater. And I can sit and nobody's going to bother me and I'm going to watch this story being told to me. That said, art is not just for art's sake. Art is also a business. And when you get into the power dynamic of a business, that's also when shit gets real dicey real fast. Yeah. Because, I mean, even in Harvey, and I'm just going to call him Harvey because fuck him. Fuck him. Just fuck him. Fuck Harvey Weinstein. No, don't fuck him. He'd enjoy that. Aggressively do not fuck him. (laughs) 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 Fucking creepy. Yeah. Um... He even said in that first bullshit apology letter, I came of age in the 60s and 70s when this kind of behavior, you know, when things were different back then. Motherfucker, nothing was different back then. Mm -hmm. It was always wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, it was always wrong. I mean, we could throw racism into this as well. It was always wrong. Oh, yeah, it was always wrong. Yeah. Always a bullshit excuse. Mm -hmm. Just because people's attitudes about it have changed doesn't change what's fundamental. Can you say that a little bit louder for everybody in the back? Just because people's attitudes towards something have changed does not make things that are fundamentally wrong any less fundamentally wrong when you were doing them. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. Thank you for the snaps, ladies. It just doesn't. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh my God, Mm -hmm. if I was a little kid and I pulled the dog's tail and I didn't realize that it was a wrong thing to do, it still makes it fucking wrong. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that first right and then a thing. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Jesus. Sweet tap dancing Christ. Take a sip of your beer. I'm going to drink. I'll take a sip of the beer. Well, because here's the thing. It's it's Miramax, right? Mm -hmm. Before the Weinstein Company was the Weinstein Company, it was Miramax. Miramax put out a lot of movies that I love. Mm-hmm. And while all of these movies that I love, fucking Pulp Fiction, fucking Shakespeare in Love, which I do perversely Ugh. enjoy. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's I'm a sorry. good movie. It's a good movie. It's not a good movie. <laughs> it won Oscars, but that means <laughs> next to nothing. The King's Speech, which I defended until the guy who directed it directed by Miz. Now, fuck that movie. Um, All these movies. Well, that was Weinstein Company. But Miramax. Miramax gave Kevin Smith his start. I love Kevin Smith. He's one of the only people, excuse me, who's worked directly with Harvey, who has said, you know, I am ashamed. I feel terrible about this. Like, unequivocally Mm -hmm. has said it. I, I, he has claimed ignorance. They didn't know what was going on. And it's Kev Smith, so I'm sort of willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on that. Um, But he's one of the only people to unequivocally denounce him. It's this entire body of work that now is meaningless. Mm -hmm. Because it was put together with this power and influence from this horrible, awful, dregs of the earth human being. Mm -hmm. Which is unfortunate because I think Pulp Fiction does such... Like a good job of like everything. It's such it's a so good, good. But you know movie. who hasn't said shit? At least uh, uh, whatever. John Travolta, now. Uma Thurman, Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino. Yup. I don't care about the actors in the movie. I care about the director mm-hmm. who signed on the fucking dotted line and palled around with Harvey and who Harvey sent to Khan and to all these other mm-hmm. fucking who, who, who invested time and money in this man. Mm-hmm. Great. Are you going to stick with your fucking friend? Was that the only movie he did with Harvey Weinstein? Or were there others? Um, uh, I believe he didn't break from them until Miramax dissolved. So I believe it was uh, Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown, Pulp Fiction, possibly 
I know Four Rooms came out on Merrimax. Um, movies, Merrimax is where I, I figured out what indie theater was. Mm-hmm. Mallrats, Clerks, Chasing Amy, and then like the previews that I saw on those VHS tapes. So like, like Water for Chocolate and all these other like foreign weirdo films. Yeah. And now it's kind of like, what were you doing while in these boardrooms? Like the Asia Argento story. Did you read this in the New Yorker today? Oh, no, I did not read that. Yeah, there's a bigger profile written by Ronan Farrow, who knows a lot about this subject, because his father is Woody Allen. Ronan Farrow um, put out this incredibly well-researched, well-interviewed, triple-checked profile about now 13 women, three of whom are claiming rape outright, one of whom is Asia Argento, who's the daughter of Dario Argento, um, who's a famous Italian horror director. With Anthony Bourdain. Yes. Okay. Um, and it's, it's, her story is harrowing. Absolutely disgusting. What was done to her, um, what was done to assistants at Miramax, what assistants at Miramax knew. Everybody knew about this. Mm-hmm. Everybody fucking knew about this. This is, we're talking 30 plus years of systemic abuse. Mm-hmm. And sexual it's abuse. Sexual abuse. And it's disgusting. And now more people, there was another Times article that came out today. Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm-hmm. Angelina, Angelina Jolie. Angelina Jolie. Yeah. So you can't tell me, Gwyneth Paltrow and Angelina Jolie, you can't tell me Brad Pitt didn't know shit that was going on. Apparently Brad Pitt said something to Harvey Weinstein and was like, never go near her again. Oh yeah, cool the shit. Which time yeah. did he do that though? Was it after Gwyneth? Because then if it was after Gwyneth, he didn't fucking listen because yeah. Angelina was post mm-hmm. Gwyneth. So it's like, yeah. men need to get their shit together. Oh yeah. It's not on women to do this. No. Only men can stop other men from this bullshit. Mm-hmm. They're the only people with the equal sense of power and can just put the kibosh on it. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in Harvey Weinstein's case because he wields such power, and he really did, mm-hmm. at the height of his powers. And up till now, I mean, think of, you know, the, the Oscar races. Mm-hmm. I believe I believe La La Land was a... Again, we'll have to fact check it, but I think it was distributed by the Weinstein Company, so it was going to win an Oscar. The open secret is that when Harvey wants to make a movie win an Oscar, he makes a movie win an Oscar. That's just what he does. Yeah. And... It's power. It's power. And I feel... And now I'm rambling. Well, I have a question for you. Okay. Because it's something... I don't disagree with anything that you've said, and, like, I often get into these types of conversations and come off sounding very poorly, so let's just put that out there. Oh, no! Uh, Oh, no! But when you say that, like, this invalidates the entire body of Miramax's work, Mm -hmm. it definitely taints it for sure but like what about all the other artists that just you know or like fucking kids who like got their start who were just like signed on to like do a job and had no idea i guess i shouldn't say invalidates Mm -hmm. but i will never look at the miramax logo and not think oh he wrote deja argento yeah right well and with something like goodwill hunting i mean robin williams like our childhood like hero I don't, part of me wants to think maybe they didn't know. But the other part of me is like, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck knew. They knew for sure. Yeah. They wrote, they directed, they went to Harvey Weinstein. They even, they said they put a blowjob joke in the script just to make sure people were reading it, and Harvey Weinstein was the only one that caught it. Something along those lines. Yeah. So they, that's why they gave him the movie. Yeah. And like... One of the most, like, iconic lines. I gotta go see about a girl. Mm -hmm. How do you like them apples? Like, that's so iconic. And I kind of, I sort of agree, like, those things now, it's kind of, that art to me, as a woman, is sort of tainted as to, like, what went on? Like, what, was Minnie Driver okay? Like, was she, you know, she could, you know, she was the main love interest in that movie. so pervasive. Yeah. Pervasive in a different way than something like a Woody Allen movie mm-hmm. is. Because Woody Allen is almost self-contained. You know? He's yeah. a director, but he doesn't... He doesn't... He's not a studio head. Yeah. He doesn't so, like, bring in the very money. easily ignore Woody Allen's films. Mm-hmm. Just don't go see anything that he's 
involved with. Yeah, of course. And that's, that's about, what, like 30 pictures? Mm-hmm. It, recently, at least, he's made one every year since, like, 1974, yeah, so it's more than one coming out soon. Yeah, yeah, Wonder Wheel, which really upsets me that he's involved with it because it was shot in Coney, and it's all beautiful stuff, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm never going to see this fucking movie. Um, but you can, you can easily ignore Woody Allen pictures. You can mm-hmm. ignore Bill Cosby pictures. And anything he was involved with, you can. I, Lord knows, I've been ignoring Casey Affleck since two thousand four. Oh yeah. But for something like a Miramax or a Weinstein company, well, he's put out so much, and he has had money in so much. And then my follow up question to that is: so this is just like the one that we know about, <laughs> like exactly. That, yeah, it's all of them. Oh yeah. Why yeah. now? It's, and it's not just movies, it's not just theater, it's not just arts, it's fucking corporate America, you know, I mean, there's oh, nothing that there's is not tainted with bullshit this. that you have to tolerate, but yeah. where you can, you don't have Right, to. and I, I say, I, you know, um, agree that entertainment is a totally, like, elective, you oh, know, yeah. like, thing, and you can choose where to put your money and your time, you know, but... Like, I'm, I'm I, sure I, I'm going to go to the movies I don't, this award season and be mad that I liked and saw a Weinstein company picture. Yeah, I just, yeah. I don't disbelieve that there were people that gave, you know, their heart and souls to working on a Weinstein picture that really didn't know what were going on. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I don't fault the gaffers and the best boys and anyone, but I do fault people who found out 10 years ago and made a movie with him last year. Right. Or said nothing. And just didn't work with him again and just But it, I mean, it goes back to what you were saying before about the, like, it being a business and it's all about yeah. money, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, there's no way to get your, like, it's such bullshit, but there's, like, no way to get your, like, indie queer feminist movie made without, like... About oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, so speaking of money... Onto a more. I don't like, have any. Next <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Neither do I. Next question. Uh, I've so, got like a buck fifty in my pocket right now. Um, recently, with our new current administration, oh boy, the the National Endowment for the Arts and the National Endowment for Humanities uh, has been under attack. Uh, and then, in other countries. The arts are more heavily funded by the government, hence making things cheaper, more accessible, blah, blah, blah. But uh, in places like Russia, where they have maybe not a similar regime to ours, but we're getting there. I feel like we're on that path. We have that American spirit. We can get there. Yeah, we can do it. <laughs> I can be kind like Russia. Uh, you know, directors are being, you know, taken away because they're speaking out against all this. And... Do you think that if we became a more government-funded art society that things like Hamilton, things like 1984, something like Julius Caesar would be able to happen, considering who is in office? Do you think that that would... I mean, that's a complicated question because, yeah. like, it, he's actively trying to shut down the NEA and yeah. that kind of thing. So, like, we can't really consider this administration in that conversation. I mean, this country has never been a, you know, one to fund the arts. Oh yeah. It started with Reagan and now it's, uh, I mean, ever, ever, you know, I mean, like we were founded on hard labor, bootstraps, blah, 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 blah. And And religion and and slavery. Yeah. And and those things are not conducive to, you know, play, Mm -hmm. making, yeah. Making art. Yeah. And loving one another and all mm -hmm. that happy bullshit. Because um, it, it just was never, in the foundation of this country, it was just never cornerstone of society the way that it was in a lot of European, you know, nations back in the day. You know, you look at, you know, kings and queens and their court and, like, they needed the arts. Like, that was a thing that mm-hmm. they used to gain power over other countries oh, yeah. was how cultural they were, how educated they were, how much art they had. Yep. That was never a thing here. Um, and there were flaws in that model too, but it filtered down into a way, you know, I lived in the Netherlands for a while and when I lived there, I, um, you know, went and I hung out with a bunch of artists and, you know, one of them had like a children's theater company and they owned a bunch of lighting equipment and would rent it out to other people. And like, they had this huge house, huge storage, huge barn, kids in, you know, Rotterdam, Netherlands, (laughs) and they made their money off of government funding. Yeah. Because their society values it, you mm-hmm. know? So, I mean, 
we are just too big of, I don't want to say it's not possible, but I do believe that we are too big of a country to have something like that. That model, I just don't think the numbers crunch in such a way that it I, could work. Yeah, I don't think it'll but, ever be national funding. I no. think it'll be on a state level and not even that, on a citywide level. If, if you're living in a place that gives a shit about the arts, then the arts is going to get a little bit of money. Not a lot. Yeah. Because arts are still considered non-essential. Like, I remember, and this is just a microcosm, and I went to a private school, um, so it wasn't even a state thing, mm-hmm. but, like, the year before I got into my high school, which was Bishop McGinn up in Albany, hello, mm-hmm. um, they completely gutted their music program, and in the band mm-hmm. room, they turned it into a weight room for the football players. Oh, gosh. And that was just that we just didn't have a music program. Mm-hmm. And the only reason we got a drama program, because it didn't have one until my class came mm-hmm. in in 01, um, there was about eight of us who wanted to do a play. And that is what started up the drama program again. Because eight people in the incoming freshman class wanted to put on a show. I mean, I think that's a really interesting point, is that there's got to be a demand for it as well. And because there's no money for it, and it costs money to do, mm-hmm. the demand for it is less. Now, I do believe, especially in this city, and I think in a lot of cities over the country, that you know, if museums were free, people would take their fucking kids there. Yeah. And their kids would know what a painting was and mm-hmm. want to see it and understand it, and it would be part of the vernacular. When this stuff is so out of reach, that's why it becomes unimportant. You know, it's a mm-hmm. self-perpetuating prophecy. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the fine arts, but I've never been to the Guggenheim because it costs $35 to get in. Yeah. I'd love to go to the Guggenheim. Spend a day at the Guggenheim? Holy shit. Yeah, I'm not going to the Guggenheim. For $35? You know what I could buy for $35? Groceries? Yeah, for the week. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Well, on a more positive note, <laughs> now sure, that we... Let be funny again. Yeah, um... Do you guys have any shows coming up that you want? Um, I was on The Moth this week. Ooh. Yes. So if you would like to listen to me tell a story about my childhood, um, you can find me on The Moth. Uh, it just actually, as of today, cycled over to the podcast. So it is this week's episode live from Terrytown. Um, and... I have a few things. Should I keep talking? Yeah, keep, keep talking. talking. Uh, I've got a thing. Uh, go. <laughs> um, I also do a monthly show called It's Getting Tired, Mildred. Yes! Yes! Uh, yes I fucking love it. It's Getting Tired, Mildred is New York City's favorite live soap opera for the stage. We do one show a month. Uh, We just started our new season, uh, actually, last Saturday. I'm looking at you, like, to confirm what I know about myself. (laughs) It was, thank you, Um, um, under St. Mark's uh, in the East Village. So our next episode, as we call them, it will be the 25th installment of It's Getting Tired, Mildred, over the past three years, and it is on November 4th at 10.30 p.m. at under St. Mark's. It is a blast. So much fun. Ridiculous. So much fun. I am evil. Yes. yes. And where can they buy tickets? Um, you can buy tickets at, uh, at the Horse Trade website, or you could look for It's Getting Tired Mildred on Facebook and search for our events, and the link will be there as well. Awesome. And we'll also link that in the description box on SoundCloud and iTunes. And then my show that I have co-directed and I'm going to be lighting designing and also have a small part on video in, Ooh, um, called, yes, called Green Card Wedding, is going up at Hero Art Center in November in December um, in their main stage big space so uh, we can look for more info on that too as well green card wedding it's a website Facebook all of the things it's a great um, musical of sorts yeah amazing yeah, multimedia uh, multimedia yeah. experience thank you Sarah <laughs> Sarah is also my personal assistant oh okay <laughs> I didn't know that just you know I'm trying I, I do my best <laughs> she's got Somebody has to keep me grounded. Yeah. Um, But yes, no, and you can also find info about that on Here's website as well. Cool. My turn? It's your turn. All right, so the show that I'm working on now, I made the jump, guys. I'm off Broadway. It's weird. Yay! Um, (laughs) Not for, you know, I I will, please, if you have anything in your indie theater world, contact me. I'd love to do it. Um, But I'm working on a show called The Imbible. 
I'm doing two of their three shows right now. Um, the first is called The Spirited History of Drinking. I am uh, their substitute stage manager for that. I'm also the substitute stage manager for the Imbibled Day Drinking, which is a show about brunch. Um, every show it goes up, uh, uh, it goes up, pardon, at New World Stages, which is on 8th Avenue. Uh, well, well, yeah, it's on... <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help you the way that you help me. This I'm is sorry. why we all it's need. On, I'm like, I walk on It's on 50th between 8th and 9th. There we are. This is why we all need stage managers, yep. everyone. The, the entrance is on 50th between 8th and 9th. Um, it goes up in the green room there, which is the bar space. Um, with the price of your ticket, you get three craft cocktails, um, which sounds totally worth it. It's, yeah, it's a fun show. My casts for both of them are amazing. If you want to come see me specifically, I can give you the dates for that. Uh, I'm doing. I'm working the Friday night shows, um, October thirteenth through the end of the month for Spirited History, and I'm working the Saturday shows at two p.m. Uh, for uh, day drinking. It's a lot of fun. We'll get you. We'll, we'll get you a bit toasty, and you'll get to learn the history of each cocktail, which is also pretty cool. It's like a musical episode of of the seminal program Good Eats, which I love. Yeah, I'm getting Amazing. very nichey with it, but yeah, it's a lot of fun, and uh, we're we're doing good work over there at New World. So come over, see a show, and then afterwards, when you're schnockered, you can try to you know barter for a ticket to Avenue Q. Yeah, why not? <laughs> and. You have a podcast. The podcast is on my def- indefinite hiatus right now. Okay. Never mind. Fun fact. Sarah and I recorded an episode. Recorded an entire hour and 15 minute long episode mm-hmm. that only lasted 15 minutes because my new computer is actually a bigger piece of shit than my old computer. Oh. And didn't save anything past the first 15 It's really minutes. sad too. We had a really good we conversation about so zombies and, um, oh, you know, we, we clowns. We really did. It was, it was a really good one, but we'll re-record it. Um, so we're on hiatus until probably December when I get my new computer, mm-hmm. um, and come back better than ever before. One day, you know, third time's the charm. Yeah, um, girl. But until then, um, I also, uh, let my, my, uh, uh, subscription to SoundCloud phase out because, uh, I didn't feel like paying 15 bucks a month for a service I can't use. So right now, the only two episodes of my podcast that you can find are the two I did with my beloved Nat Cassidy. We have, it's about, it's over two hours of content (laughs) that you can listen to with me and Nat, uh, yammering on about some stuff and we barely covered anything I wanted to. It's Honestly, so much of it is about Nicolas Cage. I'm almost ashamed of it. That's but I'm amazing. Not, because it's, it's pretty really, great. It's who I am as a human being. That's great. So enjoy that. It's the Final Girl Podcast. You can find us on us. You can find me under the Final Girl Podcast on Facebook, at Final Girl Pod on Twitter. And um, you can email me. It's just my name at gmail.com for any inquiries about, I don't know, putting me on your show or uh, getting on the podcast at some point. I also have a website. Oh, yes. What's your website? It is morganziffmeister.com. Oh, and if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, it's at Sarah the Color. Um, when I'm not tweeting about my anxiety attacks and uh, uh, bouts of depression, I'm actually pretty funny. Yes, she is. I follow her <laughs> on both. Well, thanks everyone so so much for listening. Uh, I hope you have a great day, and I will see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of She's an Artist. If you want, you can subscribe to me on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Until then, keep creating and keep telling your stories and have a great day.